Well, good morning. Good foggy morning to you this morning, October 3rd, 2020. It is foggy here in Kansas City, Missouri, so make sure you turn on your headlights when you drive to the church this morning. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening this morning. I am Pastor Nelson, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church, and this is your Sunday School lesson for October 3rd. And we will be um, going, continuing our, our, our study through the book of Isaiah, and a very interesting book, part of Isaiah today, in Isaiah chapter 25. But I am with Tower View Baptist Church, Kansas City, Missouri. If you want to find out more about us, check out our website at TowerViewKC.com. Check out our Facebook page at uh, Tower View Baptist Church. You can call us, 816-368-1330. You can call or text that number if you have any questions, any comments, any questions, um, any thoughts, questions about God, questions about Scripture, questions about worshiping God. That's why we're here answer those questions to help you worship God, to help you see the way of salvation, to help you to continue on the way of salvation. So I thank you for watching. I thank you for, for, for listening this morning. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you provide. You are the mighty God. Help us to be your servants in all that we do. Help us as we study your word this morning that everything that we do will be for you. You are the mighty God. We just praise and worship you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. All right. I'm just checking to see here. Um, so I thank you for watching. So we're in the book of Isaiah today. Like I said, it's a foggy morning outside. I was driving in. It was... In places, it's pretty dense fog. In other places, it's not too bad. You can see far enough. So uh, hopefully the fog will be lifted a little bit by the time church starts at 1030. And you can uh, make it here just fine. Today's scripture in the lesson plan, it's in, in lesson uh, five in Explore the Bible series, is in chapter 25 of Isaiah. But chapter 25 of Isaiah is in a part of a larger section, obviously the larger book of Isaiah, but really Isaiah chapter 25 is chapters 24 through 27. Remember, chapter numbers were added by people. Isaiah didn't put chapter numbers down as he was writing this book. It was uh, chapter numbers were created by people about a thousand years ago-ish. 800 years ago, somewhere in that neighborhood. And they were added later, and like anything else, they're fallible. And so um, the chapter numbers are here. So when you look at chapter 25, don't look at it by itself. So the, the, the thought that's happening in chapter 25 begins in chapter 24 and continues all the way through the end of chapter 27. So I see we got some people on. I see Judy. I see Don and Shirley are on. And um, so thank you for watching this morning. And I know others are on too. I know Darren is out there skulking about out there watching and listening. And um, so you think, okay, well, what, 
what what's going on in chapter 24? So in, in verse 1 of chapter 24, so Isaiah chapter 4, ver, verse 1 is where I'm going to start today. The lesson plan starts in chapter 25, but I'm going to, uh, chapter 24, to set the tone of what this, what this is, section is all about. In chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Look, the Lord is stripping the earth bare and making it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. People and priests alike, servant and master, female servant and mistress, buyer and seller, lender, lender and borrower, creditor and debtor, the earth will be stripped completely bare and we and will be totally plundered, for the Lord has spoken this message. And so what we have in this section is apocalyptic writing. You think apocalyptic, well, think Revelation. Uh, another way, uh, Revelation could be translated apocalypse. And so this is one of the few sections in the Old Testament Daniel has a little bit about apocalyptic writing. But this is the section in, in Isaiah that's apocalyptic writing. 20 chapters 24 through 27. And so this is not about the kingdom of Israel specifically. It is not about any one kingdom. It says the whole world will be stripped bare. The whole world, in a different translation, will maybe say set on fire and be destroyed. And so this is the end of the world, as we know it, descriptions that we don't find out, that we normally don't find in the Old Testament very often. And so that's what this is about. And so chapter 24 is about what's going to happen. And 25 is about some hope that we have within the midst of that destruction. So even though in the end, God will destroy everything, at least as far as we can tell, there will be a great destruction. But we know that God is there, and he gives us hope and security for our future. And that's what we're going to read about in chapter 25. In chapter 25, verse 1, it says, Lord, you are my God. So there it is, Yahweh. You my Elohim. You are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have accomplished wonders. Plans formed long ago were perfectly, with perfect faithfulness. And so here we are about God. And God will be there through it all. And so even though the world may be destroyed in the end, God is there. But how, how much more does that help us today? in the midst of the turmoil of our world, the turmoil of, of COVID, in the midst of COVID, I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have accomplished wonders. In the midst of political turmoil in our country, I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have accomplished wonders. Plans formed long ago were with perfect faithfulness. Economic downturn, physical health having problems, your personal life falling apart. Can you still say, I will exalt you? I will praise your name, for you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And so while this was written about the end of the world, sometimes we can't see very far because we're so nearsighted, like I am when I take off my glasses. 
and I take off my glasses, I don't think I could read anything on my screen right now. We're so nearsighted that we think what's happening to us today is the end of the world. And it's not. God's faithfulness continues on. And it says his perfect faithfulness. That word perfect could be translated marvelous. Like in other places in Isaiah where it says Jesus is going to be the marvelous counselor. It's the same word. So his marvelous faithfulness, his perfect faithfulness is here. Verses 2 and 3. For you have turned the city into a pile of rocks, a fortified city into ruins. The fortress of barbarians is no longer a city. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will honor you. The city of violent nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold for the poor person, a stronghold for the needy in his distress, a stronghold from storms and shade from heat. When the breath of the violent is like a storm against the wall, like a heat in a dry land, you will subdue the uproar of barbarians. As the shade of clouds cools the heat of the day, so will silence, so will he will silence the song of the violent. And so he goes on and talks about the destruction that's going to happen. But it doesn't say which city. So all the other prophecies throughout Isaiah, they are against specific nations, against specific cities. And he's not afraid to name those cities and name those places. Sometimes with their, with their you know, given name, the name that people use, sometimes with a metaphorical name or allegorical name. But here it just says a city. It just says the city. And so it's talking about all the cities of the world, all the evil cities of the world, which is any city that doesn't follow God, which in today would be pretty much most of America. For he turned the city, all of them, into a pile of rocks. He turned even the fortified cities, the ones that are built up, that have walls to protect them, and defenders to defend them, and moats and turrets and all the other things that go around a city of that day. No matter how well fortified it was, no how strong it was built, no matter what kind of place it was the top of what kind of strong mountain it was built on. It was turned into ruins. And so the fortress of the barbarians, the barbarians of those who don't follow God. So the place that was a stronghold for those who don't follow God is no longer a city. It will never be rebuilt. Here in America, we have natural disasters and we rebuild. A tornado comes to town, we rebuild. A flood wipes out an area, <clears throat> we rebuild. We may move, we may change and build in a different location sometimes with floods, but we still rebuild. Hurricanes, earthquakes, we rebuild. The twin, the the, the uh, towers in New York City that were knocked down, we built something in their place. Not exact replica, but we built something in their place. But because of all this, in verse 2, all this destruction that God is talking about in verse 2, because of that destruction, look at verse 3. Therefore, therefore is a strong word in Scripture. 
we tend to we sometimes gloss over it in English. But, you know, the, the old saying, there, you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? So it's either summarizing what's before it or it's summarizing what's after it. Sometimes both. Verse 3, therefore a strong people will honor you. The cities of the violent nations will fear you. So all those barbarians, all those people, because of God's strength, they will fear you. And in Scripture, fear is not about being scared, about being a scaredy cat most, most of the time, especially when it comes from God. It talks about worship. It talks about the worship, the awe that you have, the reverence that you have for God. That is the fear of the Lord. And so it's not about just being afraid and, and, and cowering in front of someone. Um, my computer just had a, a notification that was really loud. Um, it's, it's, it's about following God. And so this makes me think, it says all of them. It's talking about, it doesn't say the word all, but the implication is all. And so in the New Testament, it says every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. And this same implication is here, that every nation, every person that survives will bow down. Why? Because God is stronger. No matter who is elected, no matter what their faith is or their lack of faith is, God is stronger than them. God's will will not be thwarted by them. Not by any president of the United States or any Congress or Supreme Court not by any nation that rejects God in this world. He is stronger than them all. And just look down through history and you can see that. They may thrive for a day, but they don't last. In verse 4, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4 is where we're at this morning. For you have been a stronghold for the poor person, a stronghold for the needy in his distress, a refuge from storms, a shade from heat. Because God, for those who aren't for those us who aren't strong, who are weak, we're weak because we're poor. We're weak because of physical weakness in us, because of sickness or disease or because of age. We're weak because we have mental health problems, behavior health problems, maladies of the mind. We're weak because we're physically tired, we're physically hungry, we're in pain. In all those, God is our stronghold. He's a refuge from the storm. He's a shade from the scorching heat. And the last part says, when the breath of the violent is like storms against the wall. So thinking about a storm that's outside, but you're in a a fortified shelter, and you know that storm can't get to you. Being able to ride out a Category 5 hurricane on the shoreline because you are in such a fortified shelter that even that won't hurt you. The floodwaters can't get to you. Riding out a tornado in your tornado shelter, knowing that even though it's an EF5 tornado that is a mile wide, it can't get you. That is gone. There is no building that can survive an EF5 tornado that we know of that's above ground. 
But God can help us survive the storms of life, even though they seem like an EF5 tornado. He can, the heat that is just unbearable when you are in a desert place and the heat is just relentless. The heat the sun is, beats down on you from the day and the reflection off the ground just comes back up and it's like a double whammy. And then the sun goes down at night and there's so much heat in the ground that it's still hot from the heat just radiating off the ground. God is a cool breeze in all that. So even though there is, there is all that, in verse 5, like the heat of the land, you subdue the uproar of the barbarians. You provide shade in the heat of the day. And so even though the, this world is beating down on you like a desert sun, you will survive because God is with you. That is the whole point of the scripture, to give you hope in a hopeless situation. 20, verse, chapter 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare all the people a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now, earlier in this chapter, it said on the, you know, he's going to destroy the cities, and he didn't mention what the name of the cities were. Here he says, on this mountain. That sounds kind of specific. Which mountain is he talking about? Well, you can't read chapter 25 in a vacuum. You've got to read chapter 24. In chapter 24... Verse 23, the last verse of chapter 24, it says this, The moon will put to shame the sun, put to shame and the sun disgraced, because the Lord of armies will reign as king on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. He will display his glory in the presence of his elders. So on what's this mountain? It's Mount Zion, the mountain of salvation. Throughout scripture, Zion is talked about as salvation, the resting place of God. And whether that's literally Mount Zion where Jerusalem is today, or if that's just a figurative Mount Zion where God will be in the future, it don't matter. God's going to be there. God, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, he's going to prepare a meal for you all. You know, choice meat. It's marbled meat, meat with fat on it. The prime cuts of meat. And here in Kansas City, we have barbecue. And what, where did barbecue come from? It actually came from the poor folks who had poor cut. They didn't get the good cuts of meat. Some of them were eating roadkill. And how do you make bad meat taste good? Well, that was the goal of barbecue. So they figured out how to slow cook it, to tenderize it. And the flavor it was smoke from uh, choice woods to season it with sauces and seasonings, with rubs. And so the whole point of original point of barbecue was to make bad meat taste good. If you got good meat, a good steak, if I go to a steakhouse and I order a steak and you see me putting steak sauce on it, that means I don't like the steak very well. 
Because a good steak doesn't need steak sauce, in my, in my opinion. And so that's the kind of meat. He said, you're going to have good meat. Meat that doesn't need steak sauce. Meat that doesn't need barbecue sauce. Not that they're bad, but the meat's so good you don't need them. And it's choice things to drink. It talks about wine. I was like, oh, we're Baptists. We don't do that, right? In this case, you, we're okay, Baptist people. We'll, we'll survive. He's going to have great drink there. He's going to have things to eat there that you like. It's going to be a feast. And you think, well, I can get steak in the store all the time. Because we in America are rich. We are not poor. You think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not rich like uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. I'm Warren Buffett? No, you're not. But look at the rest of the world. Look at the people in Colombia. Look at the people in Nigeria, in India. Your wealth beyond means. But in that day, God's going to provide. He is going to provide for his people. In verse 7, chapter 25, verse 7, On this mountain he will destroy the burial shroud. The Christian Standard Bible translates that as burial shroud. That's, you know, they're, they're being helpful. It's literally just a covering or a veil. It could be like a burial shroud. It could be referring to the blindness of the nations. Um, it's probably something on the order of a burial shroud, but it doesn't have to be. It's a veil. It's a covering. He will destroy this, va- this covering, this veil that covers all the people and this sheet that covers all the nations. He's going to open their eyes. They are going to see life for what it is. And in verse 8, we don't think of verses like this in the Old Testament. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. Paul quotes this. He will destroy death forever. He quotes that in 1 Corinthians 15. That God is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He says God is going to destroy death forever. God, the Lord God will wipe the tears from every face. Where else do we see that in Scripture? We see that in Revelation 21, where God describes a new heaven and a new earth. And that He's going to wipe away all our tears. God predicted that. He prophesied that in the Old Testament. Where we think, well, God doesn't talk about eternity in the Old Testament. He doesn't talk about heaven and hell. For the most part, they don't. But here we have a glimpse of that. That he will do this. Death will be destroyed forever. And Darren says, you know, well, I thought he asked a question. He says, what a day that will be. I thought he says, what day will that be? Um, we don't know that one. He hasn't told us that. And in verse 9, it says, On that day, there it is, that's what day it's going to be. It's on that day. It will be said, Look, God, look, th- I'm going to read this right. Verse 9, On that day, it will be said, Look, there is our God. We have waited for him. He has saved us. 
This is the Lord who we have waited for. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. For the Lord's power will rest on this mountain. On that day. Throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament, it talks about on that day. Sometimes it says on the day of the Lord. And, and the way the day of the Lord is talked about in the Old Testament, for the most part, I don't think I'd want to be there on that day. Because it's a day of destruction. It's a day of death and judgment to those who don't follow God. But on that day, it's also a day of salvation because God's judgment happens and the evil are punished on this world and we see it. And so that's what this day... So on that day, it was like, what day? Well, the day that the world ends. That we read about in chapter 24, verse 1. That the, war, the world is wiped out. But on that day also... It says here, look, there is our God. This is our God. We have waited for him. We have waited so long for this day. He has saved us. This is the God we've waited on. Let us rejoice and be glad for his salvation. Not that we won. It's not about us winning. It's about God winning. God wins the day. What day is that? I don't know. And so just to kind of show what this is, so I'm, I'm going to skip over to chapter 27 and see how this lines up with Revelation. Chapter 27 it says, On that day the Lord, with his relentless, large, strong sword, well, there's a description. It's relentless, it's large, and it's strong, will bring judgment on Leviathan. The fleeing serpent, the phyathon, the twisting serpent. He will slay the monster, monster that is in the sea. The Leviathan, a big, giant, dinosaur-like creature, like a dragon that we read about in Revelation, right? In the sea, the sea is, a, and to do the Jews, was a place of turmoil, of chaos, um, of death and destruction. But on, in chapter 27, verse 13, the last verse of chapter 27, it says this. On that day, there it is again, on that day, a great trumpet will be blown. And those lost in the land of Assyria will come, and as well as those dispersed in the land of Egypt. And they will worship the Lord at Jerusalem on the holy mountain. And so the Lord will gather his who are scattered throughout the world. It mentioned Assyria and Egypt because those were the local enemies that people could relate to. Assyria had taken the north. I don't know at this point in time when he wrote this if it happened yet. But Assyrian um, will take the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes. And those are now called the lost tribes of Israel. We don't know where they went. They ceased to be Jewish because they ceased to follow God. And we, we've lost track of all, lost all track of them. But on that day, God knows where they are. On that day, God knows where his faithful people are in this world. Those who are following God, no matter where you are in this world, God knows you. He is not hidden from you. There is, it's foggy outside this morning. There is no fog that God is shrouded by. You can't hide in the fog. You can't be lost in the fog from God. God has your internal future in, in mind. This is eternity future. We don't know when this is going to happen. 
We don't know all the details of how it's going to happen. Is it going to be an instant? Is it going to be a thing that happens over a period of years? I don't know. But God does, and he's got it taken care of. I don't need to worry about it. So God is not hindered by the fog, whether it's a literal fog that's outside, clouding the day that you can't see um, where to go, whether it's a spiritual fog. You just don't know what to do in life. God's not hindered by a fog. He's not hindered by darkness or by sickness or by old age or by wars or by any economic downturn or Great Depression. He's not hindered by politics and riots. He's not hindered by your failures. He's not hindered by your weaknesses. God's will is not hindered by all those things. You have an eternal future with God. Turn to Him today. If you have never turned to Him, today is that day. The day of the Lord that you can turn to Him for the first time. That you repent of your sin. And you go and you turn to Him for that first time. If you were a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for many years. Today is that day where you give up that sin that you've been holding on to all these years. Today is that day that you seek forgiveness, that you make things right if something you not made right. Today is that day you determine, to, I'm going to follow God better today than I did yesterday. Whatever that means. It may mean giving up something of entertainment that you have to take more time to be with God. It may take time to call somebody up and pray with them and encourage them. Maybe even visit him, and even in COVID. Whatever it is that you need to do, that commitment you need to make, a commitment you need to make to your church, <clears throat> to your brothers and sisters in Christ, to your family, to God himself. There is nothing that hinders God. God has big shoulders. He can handle our complaints. He can handle our failures. All we need to do is give it to him. I was like, how do I give God my failures? You tell him about it in prayer. You tell him how you feel, even when you feel awful. Some of my best prayers is when I'm here at church and I'm by myself. I don't get on my knees and pray because when I get on my knees and don't move, my mind wanders too far away. So I pray by pacing, walking around the sanctuary, sometimes walking around outside. And my eyes are open and my hands are waving. Because I'm saying, God, I'm trying to do this and it's failing. I'm trying to do this and it's not working. And, and I'm not happy. But God is still there. And sometimes those are my best prayer times. Not just when, I, you know, I, I pray a nice little, you know, now I lay me down to sleep prayers. Those have their place. But sometimes you need to open up the garbage closet in your house, in your life, and tell God about everything that's in there. The pain that you have in there of what others have done to you, that pain that somebody else has done to you in the past, whether it's recent past or far past. The pain that you have of the 
guilt that you feel over a failure you've had in your life. You need to tell God about those. Because God's got our future. We just read about the future. God's got it. God's future is better than any 401k. God's future is better than any retirement home. God's got this. He's got you. So turn to God and trust God for your future. Today, tomorrow, next year, whatever the future holds. The future for our kids and for our grandkids. If you're young, you don't, you're not thinking of those things yet, but even just your future for the next 10 years. Whatever this world throws at us, we don't know what's coming down this world. But God's got you. This world was stone in turmoil when the Great Depression started, when the stock market crashed. And then World War II happened. This world was an awful place. It was an awful place during the 20s and 30s, or the late 20s, the 30s and 40s. This world was an awful place. But we survived. We grew. God was not thwarted by that. So God is not thwarted by the politics of this election, the politics of other countries. And while you will die someday, whether it's you know in a war or in a riot or through some you know awful illness that you have, we all will die. So whether we die in peace of old age, surrounded by our family, or we die in some tragic situation, God is still God. So trust on him. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you and praise you for all the blessings that you've provided, Lord. Help us to be your servants this day. Help us to love you and to serve you and to turn to you in all things in this life because you are our shelter. You are our shade. You are a refuge in, in troubled times. So help us to turn to you in troubled times and to sit under your shade and not try to do things ourselves. You are the mighty God, Lord. We just pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So I thank you all for watching. I see you on there. Cindy has been watching. And let's see who else in here that I haven't mentioned. Um... Lynette, thank you for watching. I appreciate it. So I thank you for watching. Listen, once again, I'm Pastor Nelson, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Check out our website, towerviewkc.com. Check out our Facebook page, uh, Tower View Baptist Church. Um, you can call or text our church line, 816-368-1330. That's in, it's in the, one of the uh, comments that's pinned on, the, on this uh, video. If you like this video, if this has been helpful to you, if you think others will be encouraged by it, please share it. Please like it, all those things. And so I thank you for today. I thank you for watching. If you're here in Kansas City, we church is at 1030 this morning. And if you made reservations, you can come inside. Um, I'm debating on the outside speakers yet, depending on how, how, how the weather, if it has, how quickly it warms up a little bit. It's not going to be too warm today. 
But you can come in and sit in the car and listen to 90.7 F on your FM dial and listen to the service today. Um, the sermon will be on Facebook Live today because Darren is preaching inside. And so the service starts at 10.30. The sermon will be 10.45-ish. ish. So watch for that. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening today. God bless. And I pray um, you will bask in the comfort of the Holy Spirit today. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.